most valuable commodity I know of is information. Wouldn't you agree? I got five dollars. This is a run to the left. How many tackles can one man break? You're saying that humans need fantasy to make life bearable. Humans need fantasy to be human. My goodness, that was good. You guys are pros. The best. Relentless, refusing to give up. All right, hit that horn, babe. Let's dance. What's up, everybody? Welcome to the Fantasy Flex Podcast. I'm your host, Chris Raybon of the Action Network. And this is our best ball strategy episode. Here on this episode, myself and Sean Kerner, the odds maker, one of the best fantasy rankers in the biz, are going to break down all of our best ball tips and some players that we like to target, specifically in best ball formats, as well as some stacks. What's going on, Sean? What's up? Yeah, so week one of the preseason is in the books. Uh, can't wait to see what uh, week two has in store. This is probably the week we're going to see the most starters. Um, so looking forward to this week of action. How are you doing? I'm doing great. You know, uh, the work's starting to pile up, So, but I'm grinding <laughs> through it. And uh, I love this time of year. I wouldn't, yeah. uh, wouldn't trade it for anything because this is the time where we finally get information that can yeah. actually alter our projections after they're kind of static for – you know, the off season or just trying to changing based on, you know, he said, he said, she said, exactly. We're not just not. relying on reports at this point. We actually get to see them ball out. Yep. And, you know, get some injuries, get some signings, get some roster moves. So mm-hmm. yeah, it's uh, it, it, this is going to be a best ball specific episode. Uh, we're going to start out with three tips each uh, that we like to use to get in edge and, and just kind of how we like to go about, uh, treating our best ball drafts. So why don't you start us off? Yeah. So my first tip with best ball is just understand sort of, um, you know, the strategy behind it where season long head to head leagues, um, you're, you're trying to just beat one opponent every week. So you kind of want to focus on raising your team's floor. Whereas best ball, you're competing against the entire league. Like it, it's going to add up all the points throughout the season and you have to finish first. So you want a ton of upside. You want to go for ceiling high variance type of players. And overall, you just want to make your roster have as high a ceiling as possible uh, because you're not having to get everyone's score every week. You're only going to get the best scores week in, week out. Um, So think of wide receivers like a Gabe Davis or like Deshaun Jackson in his prime or like a Marquez Valdez-Scantling when he was on the Packers. Those are like the ideal type of players I like to get. Um, in best ball specifically, because again, we're just trying to maximize our ceiling week in, week out, try to just get players that we think have a ton of upside heading into the season. So that's a little bit different strategy I take when it comes to best ball. Yeah. And to kind of add to what you're saying, I think what you're alluding to is uh, a specific stat in particular for wide receivers anyway, and that is average depth of target. Cause I think the deeper downfield on average a player gets target, the more he's going to kind of fit that mold of a guy who's going to be high variance. You know, he might run a lot of low percentage routes, but when he catches the ball, it's usually going to be, you know, a 20, 30 yard gain, maybe a 50 yard touchdown uh, instead of just, you know, catching like four balls for 30 yards or something like that. So you'd rather a guy catch, you know, two for 86 and a touchdown (laughs) than catch five for 36 and no touchdowns or, or something like that. So, Average exactly. up to target. That's Tyler. Usually Boyd. the guys that 
Yeah, right, right. The, the higher the average of the target, <laughs> usually, not always, but yeah. almost always, I would say, usually makes for a better best ball pick because those guys are going to vary more from their median projection. And a lot of times yep. the rankings and the ADP doesn't really uh, differentiate too much outside of a select few guys. And a lot of times in best ball ADP, I feel like it's not necessarily the best ball specific guys that even have the higher ADPs. It's just the guys who are kind of like the trendy, like it guys, mm-hmm. like, you know, like certain young rookies or, or just guys that, you know, people are, you know, like kind of high on throughout the industry. So yeah. there is an edge to be had by kind of remembering, like, for example, you know, you mentioned MVS, you know, when he was on green, I mean, MVS is the best, the, the best use for MVS even now is best ball. Like I know he didn't have yeah. a great season last year. I think he only had like two touchdowns, but his quarterback is Patrick Mahomes. Patrick Mahomes led the league in passing. Marquez Valdez Scantling is probably still going to be a top three receiver uh, on that team. And so, yeah, yeah. Marquez Valdez Scantling is a perfect example of a guy who you would probably not think about drafting at all in redraft. But if he's sitting there exactly. at wide receiver 75 in the <laughs> best ball league, yeah. I'll, I'll take a shot. Sign me up for that. Right. Uh, And so kind of going into that, you know, you talked about you want upside, you want high variance. So my first tip is one that I see people all the time make this mistake. Uh, And I even got a a person who I think the other day asked me about doing this with tight ends, not even running backs. And that is handcuffing. And in redraft, it makes a lot of sense to Mm -hmm. handcuff because especially with running backs, they tend to miss. Uh, you know, on average, about two to four games a year. So if you can get the backup, especially if he's cheap, you're kind of locking in starting running back production, you know, in the event of two separate injuries. And the, and the likelihood to get to the third guy on the depth chart on most teams is pretty low. So it's usually a pretty high floor strategy. Now, best ball, completely different strategy you want to take. Because mm-hmm. even if you have a running back and his handcuff, you're only going to have five or six running backs on your best ball team. At least you should, you shouldn't really, maybe seven once in a while in a blue, but usually somewhere between five and seven. So you don't want to waste two roster spots on one team, same buy, all that good stuff. Like mm-hmm. if you have, let's say Alexander Madison and you're like, Hey, you know, I think Ty Chandler at some point during the off se- or during the season might overtake him or, you know, if Madison gets hurt. I think Chandler would be a, a, a workhorse. Well, if you have Madison already, then don't draft Chandler. Draft Chandler when you don't right. have Madison because that way you maximize your upside of if Madison goes down early in the year, you get a lot more Chandler than you know you would have ever thought you were going to have a unique roster construction. And if you draft Madison, you're probably spending a top, you know, five round, uh, you know, a early round pick on him. You're, you don't need, you don't want him to get hurt. If he gets hurt, you, you like, you don't, that's going to, yeah that's going to already sink your, like, it's not going to be good for your team, but it's going to be worse if you don't have like another running back uh, that's capable of putting up production all at the same time, because that's what you're really trying to maximize. You're trying to maximize having, let's say you have six running backs. You're trying to have all six of them have value in as many weeks as possible. You're not trying to have weeks where it's one or the other, because now you're, it's really like you drafted five running backs. You literally just gave away a roster spot. 
by handcuffing. And I've, I've heard people say, uh, suggested it with like Mark Andrews and Isaiah Likely. No, like if you, if you draft Isaiah Likely, it should be on the off chance that Mark Andrews goes down in like week two and you get a full season of mm-hmm. Isaiah Likely. Like that's Isaiah Likely's upside. You don't want Isaiah Likely for the two games that he's going to fill in for Mark Andrews. That doesn't help your team. You want uh, like another guy, like let's say you draft Luke Musgrave uh, with, with that pick and he puts up starter value all year and you have Mark Andrews putting up starter value. That's what you want. You don't want the either, or you want everyone on your team uh, to be able to maximize their upside and in as many weeks as possible. So handcuffing great strategy and redraft where you can set your lineups, where you can make roster moves, where you can release guys when they're hurt or put them on injured reserve in best ball. Your roster spots are your currency. Like those are so important because the the fewer roster the fewer fewer roster spots um, that you have allocated you know to to, uh, to different players on different teams the lower your upside is going to be so you want to avoid handcuffing uh, and that's different you stacking is different if you want two receivers three receivers on one team yeah. uh, and pair them with the quarterback that's one thing that's 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 additional upside because that tends to be correlated but not you don't want a running back and his backup, that's the opposite. Never do it in best ball. All right, what's next? Exactly. Well, you already mentioned it, but stacking. Uh, I think stacking is critical um, in terms of raising your team's overall ceiling. So if if you have a quarterback, like let's say you draft, well, I guess it wouldn't be in that order, but if you draft Stephon Diggs, um, you, know, you might also want to get Josh Allen to pair with him um, and then Dalton Kincaid later because – what happens is, you know, if Josh Allen has a really good season, Stephon Diggs and Dalton Kincaid probably also had really good seasons as well. Like you said, they're very correlated. Um, and it allows you just to basically own all the Bills passing game shares. Like no one else in the league can get those. So um, it's a great way to really elevate your team's ceiling um, and really maximize the upside you have. And it's it's easier said than done because sometimes you do have to take players a little bit earlier than you want. To get a stack, like you have to be very strategic how you do it. But at the end of the day, you do want to stack, you know, one to three pass catchers with, with at least one or two of your quarterbacks. So it's definitely something you have to kind of plan out while you're drafting because uh, you never know if you're going to take the quarterback first or the pass catchers first. Uh, but once you do, you kind of know what you have to do. Um, but again, that's that's a really good way to really elevate your team ceiling, which is what we're trying to do when it comes to best ball. Yeah, and... To, to add to that, the way I like to go about it is I don't – I'm wary of altering my strategy too much in the early rounds just to, you know, complete a stack that might not even be there, let's be honest, when right. when I come back to pick again. So what I just try to do is I usually aim to stack my QB2 uh, because usually that just gives me a lot more – uh, options because even if I take let's say my top three receivers are all guys that are attached to quarterbacks that I'm just not going to be able to get because they're all going in the first you know five or six rounds like you know maybe like uh, Chargers guys or some Bengals guys or you know some Ravens guys even um, or some Bills guys I guess is a better example you know if I if I then you know have a wide receiver four wide receiver five and I know I know pretty much which quarterbacks are going to be available late. That can inform my decision-making mm-hmm. uh, a little more, you know, like maybe then, you know, if I know Gino's going to be around, I go with a, a Jackson Smith, the Jigbo, or maybe, you know, Van Jefferson, if I, if I'm planning on going with uh, a Matthew Stafford. And usually what happens is once you invest in one of those guys, uh, it, 
then you can usually get a unique stack by going like you don't always have to go the wide receiver one and two sometimes you could go like the two and the three or something like that get a unique yeah. stack that also has some leverage if you know the, the the number one gets hurt or you know you can some like certain guys like a if you do have a, a guy like cooper cup then you know matthew stafford ain't going up qb 20 so and most people aren't going to draft stafford earlier than that without right. cup so it, there's certain things it just really depends on how your draft unfolds but i i tend to try to just draft for value with my first you know three wide receiver picks at least you know again you don't want to screw up your draft early early in the early rounds and then from there i kind of go off of it and say okay this is who i think i'm going to be able to stack later on maybe then i'll let it influence me uh, a little more, but because I'm usually not going with two quarterbacks early. So I'm usually going right. to have at least one quarterback that I'm taking that's going to be, you know, outside the top 12 and usually even much lower than that. So um, that's how I usually like to go about uh, stacking because I think some people, you know, they get too caught up in it and like, yeah, it looks, it's super sexy to get like, uh, you know, Chase and Higgins and Burrow, but you might <laughs> like, like you might, you might get like the receivers and then miss out on a quarterback because like all these guys are going high. So um, it's just a little riskier. And I think it's a little more common. Whereas I think the stacks that are really going to win, it's kind of like regular DFS, right? It's like, it's usually those cheap stacks that give you the correlation yeah. and allow you to still stack studs and pay for the production, you know, is going to be there, but then take advantage of the correlation with the cheap guys that otherwise wouldn't give you that kind of upside. Uh, that's kind of yeah. how I like to uh, treat uh, stacking in best ball as well. All right, my my second tip is going to kind of be similar to, to what I was talking about with the first, but it's essentially always aim for the maximum amount of upside in terms of games. So one thing in in best ball is there are certain guys that have, I guess, a reputation as you know a high risk guy and a high risk high reward guys, but if that's because of injury. Uh, I tend to still stay away from like a guy like Rashad Penny, for example, mm -hmm. uh, a lot of people might say, okay, he's in a committee backfield. So you don't know when he's going to go off, but he also has a lot of upside. So great best ball pickers. I don't really like a guy like Rashad Penny because this guy has never played more than 13 games in a season. Um, and, and so I like the more we like the, the more, larger the sample grows, the more likely it is that he's going to miss games in the future, especially at running back. Same thing goes for a guy that's going to start the year hurt. Like Jamison Williams. I don't, I don't think I'm getting over on anybody by taking Jamison Williams and he's just going to win my best ball league when he comes right. back in week seven. Like I'd rather just have six more games of upside from a receiver. Even if that receiver is not, uh, you know, necessarily a top two receiver, or even a top three in week one, if he's a guy that I think, you know, is, is talented and maybe could, you know, overtake the, the starter as soon as week two or three, that's still better than a guy that I know for certain is not going to play until week seven. So I'm not drafting Williams. I'm not drafting Kyler. Um, you pretty much not drafting Alvin Kamara. Like I just, I, mm -hmm. I get that there's a point where they do become valuable, but it's already hard enough to project value and games as it is. Now you're trying to predict exactly the point at which they become like exactly at the point at which they become valuable. You're just, your projections are going to be like fat, more fallible than you think. And you're going to, you're going to screw it up more often than you're going to get it right. And in the process, you're just going to drastically lower your upside. So wherever I can, I'm taking guys that are healthy in week one and 
have the upside to give me every single game of the season, which also goes into why if I have a running back, I'm not taking the second running back uh, on that same team as a handcuff mm-hmm. or, or anything like that. Same thing with tight ends. Or, you know, I, I just want the maximum amount of upside for each roster slot. And that's 16 games in a 17 game season. Yeah, that makes no sense. And Rashad Penny and Jamison Williams are great examples because in theory, those are two players that are like ideal for best ball. They, they'll both have big playability uh, and high variance. Right, but right. like you said, you can't, you know, bank on them playing 17 games. In Jamison Williams' case, you definitely can't. Um, so I think that's that's some great advice because that is another aspect is you want them actually, you know, providing games of value as well. So while they're on on paper, great for best ball, the injury risk and with Jamison Williams, the suspension already, uh, definitely reasons to fade them. Oh, and I should before we move on, I should mention one more thing. <laughs> this also applies to quarterbacks because I I rather have a quarterback that's uh, I'm like pretty sure is going to start 16 games than a guy who is a benching risk. So like another example, I think a lot of people are like, you know, best ball, great time to take a flyer on like a, uh, a Sam Howell or a Desmond Ritter. Like I, even if I have those guys higher projected per game while they're starting, I might still take a safer guy that I know is going to start all 17 games, like a Jordan love Mm. or, or, or somebody like that, because at the end of the day, they're already my quarterback too. Uh, so I'm not, I'm not exactly counting on them to, to give me like this, like there's just not as much separation at quarterback. Right. So it's like, right. if I can, if I get 11 games of a guy averages like 22 points a game versus 16 of a guy who averages 18 or 19, uh, there's just a lot more potential. I might need those 18 or 19 a lot more than I, I like a zero, which I could be getting from mm-hmm. a guy who is bench or is not starting the season as a starter or, you know, or whatever, not. So that's another thing. I think you always want to value job security at quarterback because, you know, look at like last year. I mean, it was a, a, a landmines all over. Matt Ryan <laughs> yeah. got benched. Carson Wentz got benched, but you know who we liked? Jared Goff. He didn't get benched. Daniel Jones. He didn't get benched. Guys like that mm-hmm. who you just kind of like, you know, I mean, and, and, and sometimes you could just be wrong and that's fair, but I'd rather be yeah. wrong than just knowingly take a guy that I think is going to pr- project for less starts just because he has like a one or two point per game edge in, in projected per game, scoring, right. which is really all you're going to have at that point in the draft. You're really not going to have much separation at quarterback. Um, so it really comes down to, again, just those ma- maximizing that those games upside because you can't predict when you're going to need them and you cannot do any lineup adjustments so you just got to roll with it so that 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 those those games become vitally important every game and every roster slot is currency all right uh what you got for your third tip so for the third tip let's just talk about roster construction in general um and there's no real right or wrong way to do it but in general um i like to get two quarterbacks like if you can come away from the draft at two quarterbacks i think you did good there are some exceptions where i get a third um, maybe it's an example you're talking about where you start with like a Desmond Ritter or Sam Howell, or you draft two of those guys. You're just trying to maximize your chances of getting two quarterbacks that play all 17 games. It's not advised, but sometimes you get a situation where you have to do that. Um, but in general, I like to have two quarterbacks and then running backs, you know, for season long redraft leagues, head to head leagues like that. I like to have as many running backs as possible. You know, me, my bench is basically all running backs with upside and best ball. I'm a little bit more aggressive. I'm okay just drafting like five running backs, six running backs. 
So I think anywhere between like five to seven running backs is fine. You're going to need them to stay healthy anyway. And then the way to get more than seven running backs is you're going to be taking a bunch of backups at the end of the draft. We are just kind of hoping the starter goes down. I don't like doing that as much in best ball as opposed to redraft where you can manage your roster. So I like to just take good running backs, have a solid five to six running back core. Um, and then I really like to load up at wide receiver, like having seven, eight, maybe even nine wide receivers, I think makes a ton of sense because that's a position that has just the most volatility week in, week out. Um, typically you're going to need three wide receivers instead of two running backs. So it just makes sense to have the most wide receivers on your team. And then tight end is similar to quarterback where ideally I just want to have two tight ends. Sometimes I'll have three. If I don't have a tight end until, you know, the first 14 off the board, maybe that's a situation where I'll get three tight ends. But in general, I want to come out with two quarterbacks and two tight ends. Um, and when it comes to best ball, like when it comes to roster construction, I am a lot more worried about buys than I am in regular season head-to-head leagues because you can't manage your roster. So you got to make sure you don't get two quarterbacks out of the same buy or else you have to get a third quarterback. So definitely pay attention to your buys. You don't want to have too many at one position. But overall, that's kind of how I construct my teams. Yeah, and this is a good time to to remind people that there's a lot of spots like when you're looking at rankings, like sometimes people ask us like, oh, do you have this guy 16th or 15th? Or do you have this guy 34th <laughs> or 33rd? It doesn't matter. Like it, there's very, like, yes, there are, there are tier drop-offs and, and you do a good job of always highlighting those. You have your tiers piece pieces out mm-hmm. uh, where you kind of highlight that. But for the most part, guy, the difference of one or two or even three ranking spots uh, is not much. It's going to be tenths of a point. And so if the buy is a tiebreaker, then let the buy be the tiebreaker. Like don't, mm-hmm. don't draft yeah. a, don't like stack up buys on, on the same weekend. Cause again, remember your roster spots are, and, and those like games are your currency. And so if you have a week where like, you're just already starting out with four or five or six zeros, it, it, you know, there's really nothing you're going to be able to do to replace. It. You're just going to have to hope that the four guys you have active or whatever right. are, are going to have big games. And that's unrealistic. So if you can spread out your buys, um, do it. And remember, because stacking is something that you really should be doing every in every team with at least one of your quarterbacks. Um, you want to kind of save your same buys as much as possible, you know, for your stacks too. So kind of keep that in mind, you know, like, it, like look at your receivers to kind of give you a, a, like to dictate, okay, who based on the receivers I've drafted, this is the quarterback that I'm probably going to draft to stack with them. At least in my case, because I'm usually going with later quarterbacks for that stack. Mm-hmm. And then, so then you say, okay, well then if there's like running backs or tight ends or whoever else that, you know, might also have that buy, that could also be a tiebreaker because the stacking is also very important. It's going to be really hard to win, especially, uh, you know, uh, a, a, a larger field best ball league without stacking. You're just going to need that mm-hmm. correlation. You're going to need that upside. So that's already guaranteed to have, you know, three or four of the same buy uh, right there. So if you could kind of yeah. work from that and minimize the other players that have those similar buys, um, it's going to work out better. But yeah, if you could spread out your buys as much as possible, uh, it's always optimal. Um, and that kind of goes into my third tip is leave your roster flexibility for the end. So usually, and, and you know, to your point, ideal is two quarterbacks. Uh, ideal is two tight ends. Now, 
you know, a lot of people, there's, there, there's content out there. Our guy, TJ Hernandez does, does some great content on this where, you know, they look at the past best ball win rates and, you know, what worked in mm. different leagues. And generally what you find is exactly what you said, two to three quarterbacks, two to three tight ends, uh, five to seven running backs, seven to eight receivers. Uh, usually though, the, when you see those three quarterbacks or three tight ends, it's just, it's more because somebody did screw up and either they yeah. had a, a similar buyer or, or something like that. Like, the ideal is to have two quarterbacks draft your second quarterback before you get in a situation where you're drafting a guy that might not start the whole year mm-hmm. or before you're in a situation where the, the only starters available all have the same buys as the as your QB one. And the same thing for tight. Well, tight end is a little more, there's more tight ends available. So it should, that shouldn't yeah. really be an issue, but in general, yeah, you always want to kind of have roster flexibility for the end too. So then you can draft for value at, the the more important positions which are running back and receiver so usually i'm between either five or six running backs and what would that be eight or nine wide receivers then yeah eight or nine wide receivers right so instead of i'd rather fill my quarterback and tight end two before the last two or three rounds so then i can kind of let the draft value dictate whether i go five or six running backs or eight or nine receivers you know if there's more value at wide receiver I'll go five running back, nine receiver. If there's more value at running back, I'll go, uh, you know, six running backs and eight receivers. But every draft is going to kind of play out different. And you also may have different team needs that you want to adjust for. Like maybe you feel like you're you're just a little weaker at running back and you want to go with that six running back. You want to give yourself flexibility to where you're not just reaching and taking a guy because you have to. Um, so I always recommend, you know, if you, the, if you can get your quarter, second quarterback and second tight end before the last two, uh, a lot of times you're going to have more flexibility with your running back and receivers. But even if not, uh, like the, the bottom line is just keep that flexibility open to try to draft for value as much as possible, because there's no right or wrong answer, you know, in, you know, there might even be a rare instance where maybe a third tight end is more valuable than the wide receivers or running backs on the board. I w- it would have to be pretty rare, but. I could see a situation where somebody like, you know, a guy that's like you have ranked like tight end 18 falls outside the top 24 or something like that to like the last mm-hmm. few rounds. And, you know, maybe he's a better, like maybe Irv Smith is a better bet than any of these like wide receiver fours that are, that are there. And maybe you draft him, but uh, in general, it's it's usually going to come down to wide receivers or running backs. And also by leaving yourself flexibility, you can also add to a stack that you have, um, without killing the value of your team. So maybe, um, you know, you're kind of, you have, you have a balanced roster and you have a, like a, let's say a, a Jordan Love with uh, Christian Watson and Romeo Dobbs stack. Maybe you go and add a Jaden Reed later or, or somebody like that, or, or you go and add, you know, wh- whoever the third receiver on a team is like, I'm pretty sure I added some, uh, um, who was it on the, I think it was like uh Greg Dortch or some whoever was like the third fourth receiver on the Cardinals because I was getting like Kyler Murray stacks and his top three were taken mm-hmm. like just things like that you know you you leave mm-hmm. yourself that flexibility right. to to really kind of fine-tune your roster with those last two picks but if you if you just draft like all of your running backs and all of your ri- wide receivers early you're probably just going to be screwed at quarterback and tight end to where you might have to def- draft three because you waited too long and, but you won't even be able to draft three because you waited too long. So that's my thing is you try to leave your last running back right two two of those slots to the last two and kind of go based on the the value as it falls in the draft. 
right, we know football season is finally back, and that means we got a lot of new listeners, a lot of new viewers here on the pod. Now's a great time to talk about first impressions, and no matter how much you swear that you don't care what other people think, we all know that you want to make a good first impression. For me, that means taking care of my skin, which I'm doing with the help of our new sponsor, Caldera Lab. Caldera Lab has a three-step skincare regimen that I can do quickly so I can get back to my spreadsheets. You got the clean slate, the base layer, and the good. So the clean slate looks like this. This is your standard face wash. Use this in the shower. Then you got the base layer, which is your your moisturizer. And then you got the good, which is a little serum that you can put on uh, at night. And that's going to reduce the fine lines, dark circles, and puffiness under your eyes. Skincare is important, but it does not have to be difficult. One minute in the morning, one minute in the night, all it really takes to reduce your wrinkles fine lines, signs of aging, all that good stuff with Caldera Labs. And just for our audience, we have an exclusive offer, Caldera Labs' best offer anywhere. Use code FLEX, that's F-L-E-X, at calderalab.com and get 20% off right now. That's 20% off with the code FLEX at calderalab.com. Make unforgettable first impressions that lead to those magic words we all want to hear. You look younger. Get 20% off at calderalab.com with code FLEX. All right, let's close out the pod just talking about some of the players and stacks that we are targeting for 2023. Sean, start us off. We got uh, so for quarterback, I mean, the guy that I've been targeting heavily uh, all summer has been Anthony Richardson. You know, he was at QB 16 uh, for most of the summer, and similar to your point, where He's not a quarterback that we can really project for 16 or more games as a starter. So he did kind of have that downside going into the season. He's more of the reverse of Sam Hell or Desmond Ritter, where as soon as Richardson did start, you know, he's probably going to start the rest of the season. Um, so what I've been doing is taking Anthony Richardson and then having a quarterback pair with them that doesn't have a buy until like week seven. So I was kind of giving myself some insurance to have a guy to get starts. Uh, with him but I just love Richardson's upside you know he has massive rushing upside uh, that's ideal in redraft leagues and it's also ideal in best ball he's gonna have some spike games uh, but now that he has been announced as the week one starter I think his ADP is gonna go up possibly near the top 10 um, so mm-hmm. that's why I've been trying to really load up on him before that potential news break uh, broke but I still like him as a best ball type of guy because again he's gonna have massive weekly upside he has just, you know, top five overall kind of upside as a rookie. Uh, those are the kind of players I like to target. So he's been one of my favorite best ball targets uh, at the QB position. Yeah, you know, he's, I mean, he's just going to be an exciting guy to to roster in in all formats. Um, I will, I, I'm going to talk about quarterbacks in the, in the stack. So mm. uh, let's, let's talk about some running backs. Cause I think you and I both kind of agree that there's a, a certain nuance in, in best ball and certain running backs that are maybe a little bit more valuable. And I think those are kind of those guys that are going to be in known committees uh, mm-hmm. from the jump. So a couple of guys that come to mind for me, uh, AJ Dillon, Tyler Algier, 
uh, where I think there's these guys are still going to get work even behind the starter. Dylan's case, because that's, you know, kind of a, almost a 50-50 split. And in Algiers' case, because the Falcons project to run so much that even if Bijan gets, you know, 16 to 20 carries, mm-hmm. you know, they average, I think, you know, what was 27 or so carries per game. There still should be, you know, seven to 10 left over in, in many weeks for a guy like Tyler Algiers. So guys like that, where you don't know exactly which weeks they're going to necessarily go off, but you know that they should have value. Those guys become a little bit more valuable in best ball because their production is going to be kind of high variance. Like some weeks they won't, they might get like five carries for, for 10 yeah. yards, but some other weeks they might get 13 carries for 83 yards and two touchdowns or something like that. So guys like that are guys I like to target. you got a couple as well. Yeah, same strategy. Like I love that breakdown. Those are the type of backs I love rostering in redraft leagues and especially best ball. So my two are Dave Montgomery and Jalen Warren, you know, who both are considered, you know, the backups heading into the season, but they're both going to see enough touches week in, week out to produce, you know, some spike weeks, you know, potentially RB2 value at times. Um, in best ball, you won't have to kind of figure out when those games are, especially with David Montgomery. He could have some games where he scores two touchdowns or games where, you know, he just has eight carries for 30 yards and that's it. Kind of like Jamal Williams last year. So he's ideal for best ball. Plus, all these players that we're talking about have massive upside if the starting running back were to go down. Um, so those are all just the factors that, you know, we value in redraft and best ball. So these are the, the same types of backs I'm targeting in redraft for best ball, but that's because they just provide a ton of upside. Yeah, that's a good point. You know, a lot of these guys we're talking about, uh, I think especially a guy like Dylan, like, you know, he's in a committee with Jones, but if Jones were to go down, it's unlikely that Dylan would, have a 50 50 split with something like Lou Nichols or Patrick yeah, Taylor no <laughs> or, or good center, whoever makes that, you know, earns yeah. that, that third running back job. And, you know, that's the case in, in a lot of these, the lions, I never know. So I, I'm not even going to pretend to know what the lions would do because they're always w- being weird with it. Like I think Montgomery's probably the starter to be honest with you. I think Montgomery right, probably right, has yeah, yeah. more touches than Gibbs, uh, even though he's yeah. not, ne- doesn't necessarily mean he's going to have more fantasy value uh, because Gibbs. Probably say he's not being drafted higher. Right, he's the right, second right. lines running back being drafted is one way to put it. Yeah, but like with the Steelers, is McFarland going to get like ten the same amount of carries Warren got if Najee went down? Probably not. Nope. Same thing with Dylan and Jones, uh, Algier probably not either because we saw him be you know like a, a, a workhorse back. Yep. Um, when when he was a starter, so yeah, guys like that in, in a lot of cases, those are that's kind of like the best of both worlds. You know, you get a guy who is going to have value that you can't predict, but still going to have, you know, top 36-ish, top 40-ish value. And then if the starter goes down, he may have the workhorse role all to himself. Uh, Zach Charbonnet is another guy mm-hmm. uh, that comes yep. to mind as well. So, yeah, those guys are, are really the kind of ideal guys uh, to draft in in this format. Uh, all right, let's uh, – uh, who, who? So we kind of alluded to this earlier, but uh, who are yeah. you know? Who are some wide receivers that you like uh, in 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 this format for this year? I mean, I think the poster child for this is Gabe Davis. Um, you know, he was the ADP wide receiver twenty six entering last season. He ended up finishing as the wide receiver twenty seven, but he was labeled a bust. And I think a lot of that just had to do with the week to week inconsistency that you know isn't great um, for season long leagues, but for best ball, that's fine. You don't have to guess when he's going to erupt for a four touchdown game or, you know, catch a 90 yard touchdown. Um, So he's ideal for best ball. He was actually the only player last year who saw 15% or more target share 
with an A dot over 16 or more yards. I mean, that's just a great combo for best ball. So love them in redraft, but I like them even more in best ball. Um, and another wide receiver that you can get way later um, with the similar type profile as Marvin Mims um, on the Broncos. You know, with Tim Patrick out for the season, the wide receiver three um, spot for the, the Broncos is wide open. So I think we're going to see plenty of snaps for Sims uh, for Mims this year. And he's he profiles as a deep threat. Um, he has nearly the same height, weight, speed, and playing profile as like a Darnell Mooney. So I think he's the kind of guy that he might not see a ton of targets week in, week out, but when he does, they're going to be more downfield. He could make some, you know, explosive plays. Um, so he's going to have some spiked weeks. We don't know when they're going to be, uh, but you get him right around wide receiver 70. Um, and he's the kind of guy we were talking about, like Marquez Valdez Scantling, where um, he, he's way better for you in best ball formats. So he, those are the two players I target more in best ball. Yeah, those those high A dot guys, and you know Mims yeah. obviously became a lot more relevant with his injuries. Uh, so yeah, he, he's one of my favorite uh, targets as well. Uh, you know, I, I think I, I want to go straight into stacks here because yeah, you know, I think the receivers you know are going to be kind of obvious. You know, you can think about the there's you know Valdez Scantling is another one. Um, you know, mm-hmm. I, I think a guy like Pickens maybe had a little more value in basketball, though. I think he's probably just going to be more of a traditional receiver this year but we know we know the guys but i think with stacks i think here's where it gets interesting so where are some of your the stacks that you've been kind of targeting uh this year uh so one of my favorite ones in um best ball is uh you know trevor lawrence stacks so jaguars offensive stacks because lawrence isn't a guy i really get much in redraft leagues you know i have him as my qb8 that's where he goes it's not really a time i like drafting quarterbacks but uh, in best ball, I love getting him there because he is, you know, a generational talent type of quarterback entering year three. So he could be even better this year. So he has a ton of upside. But I also like where all of his pass catchers go. Like I think Calvin Ridley has top 10 upside. Um, and by all reports, it sounds like he's right back in his 2020 form. So love him. Um, I love getting, you know, Christian Kirk's one of my favorite receivers that you can get in the wide receiver 30 range. I think Zay Jones is cheap. Um, love Evan Ingram. So it's just an easy team to build stacks. I was kind of talking about earlier where it is kind of tough building stacks because you're kind of, you know, going with the flow of the draft. I found it way easier to stack Jaguars because I like all four pass catchers. Um, and the other stack I love getting, um, even right now, uh, is Brock Purdy, Brandon Ayuk, and George Kittle, just because I think those three players are very highly correlated. I mentioned uh, last year, Kittle was the tight end one overall over the final six games, which all happened to be the games Brock Purdy was starting. So if if we had a different situation this year where Trey Lance was the week one starter, you know, I would downgrade Ayuk and Kittle. Um, so the fact that Purdy looks like he's ready to go week one, he is the team starter, that raises the value of both Ayuk and Kittle. So I think we're getting just a ton of correlation there. And, you know, they, they might alternate which weeks they have good games, but at the end of the day, I like getting, you know, 49ers stacks with, you know, Purdy, IU, Kittle. You could even mix in like a CMC in a stack like that since he's in, so heavily involved in the passing game. But I think the, uh, you know, the 49ers stacks um, lately have been something I've been targeting as well. What about Debo? Would you, would you? Would yeah, you yeah. No, I like, I think that he's, he's a bit pricey. Like he's a guy that I don't yeah. have being as valuable and, um, you know, he is a basketball type guy where he's going to make big plays. So yeah, Absolutely. I just think Ayuk and Kittle specifically are the two guys 
that I give the biggest boost to with uh, Brock Purdy under center. Yeah, I, you know, it's. I think that's a big part of it. It's that it's guys that you can get a little bit cheaper to where yeah. you're not really throwing off your draft strategy. So, a couple of things that I really look for in stacks are number one that cheapness, and when I say that cheapness, it's more with the quarterback because you know if I like for example if I if I get DK Metcalf and Tyra Lockett in my draft, you know, it's it's not as bad as if like I get. Like I overpay for Geno Smith and, and like, it was mm-hmm. the opposite. Like, let's say he was going a little earlier, but you know, I, what I really try to avoid is, is like throwing off my draft early and, and, and reaching on a quarterback, which is already a position that, you know, tends to be better off by waiting. So usually um, a, a stat, like the earliest I'm usually going for a stack is like uh, a DK Tyler Jackson Smith, Jigba, Geno Smith uh, stack. Because I look for not just, you know, having the quarterback be at a range to where if I get one or two of his receivers, somebody's probably not going to take that quarterback. Uh, I'm looking for that kind of quarterback. But I'm also looking for teams with average to below average defenses because that's also when you're really going to see a lot of these stacks hit. It's just like DFS. You know, if a team only allows, you know, 10, 17 points, then – they're not going to, they're the, the need to put up a bunch of offense and, and keep throwing all these receivers is not going to be as high. But a team like Seattle, you figure their defense, you know, they got some talented guys like Tariq Woolen, but for more or less, like you, you would expect their defense to kind of top out about average. I would say Detroit, same thing. You know, a guy like Jared Goff, if I got, especially if I got Amon Ross St. Brown early, but even if I didn't, you know, if I can get Jared Goff and guys, you know, cause like a lot of times it's these stacks that again, you would never really consider these guys. Otherwise, like I might take a Jared Goff, Marvin Jones, Josh Reynolds stack, or, or one of those guys with uh, the rookie Sam Laporta. I've like the, the cheap guys, the bad defenses, uh, I think really kind of enhance the value of those stacks. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't expect the Rams to be very good on defense this year. So, you know, obviously Cooper Cup, Matthew Stafford, but if I can't get that, you know, maybe a Stafford, uh, Jefferson, Nakua stack or Tutu Atwell, uh, even a Tyra Higby, you know, try to get some, some touchdown equity uh, in the red zone. I think Jordan Love paired with, you know, Watson, Dobbs is, is a is a really cool one that's that's pretty cheap. You know, you, you mm-hmm. draft Watson early and then, you know, Dobbs is going to be there. Love is going to be there. Um, I think uh, the, you know, the Texans, CJ Stroud, maybe a Nico Collins, a Tank Dell uh, stack it would be very intriguing. You know, stacks where the team has a, a, a below average defense, I think, really uh, kind of increases. Bryce Young, DJ Chark. Uh, and Jonathan Mingo, because I'm I'm not high on uh, Thielen. So, uh, and I like yeah. the fact that Shark would go and Mingo could both go downfield. So those kind of stacks have been my favorite. Like a Kenny Pickett, George Pickens, Deontay Johnson stack is pretty cheap, so I don't mind it. But the only thing with that is, I, I wonder how many weeks it's going to truly hit because Pittsburgh's defense is probably going to you know be good and they're probably going to be conservative so yeah. like something like that or even the russ wilson judy sutton or judy you know or mims included in that like yeah they have some some upside because they're still cheap enough especially at at quarterback but the defense you also got to think about that bronco defense probably going to be good to where russell wilson's not going to have to throw for you know 
350 yards and, and three touch, even if he can, if he still can, I don't know, but right. you know, he's probably not going to have to very often. Um, so that's kind of knocks down like the Wilson or the picket stacks a little compared to like the Goff and the Staffords and the loves uh, to, for me. Yeah. That makes a ton of sense. And I think the, like the picket Pickens Deontay one makes a ton of sense because in order for both receivers to really crush ADP, Pickett has to have a good year. So there's just a lot of correlation there. If you think Pickett's going to have a breakout year too, like having both Pickens and Deontay is going to be massive. So I think having stacks like that, especially like you said, with a cheaper quarterback are the easiest ones to build and they have the most correlation. Um, So yeah, the Pickett one, especially after how he looked week one, I can definitely get behind. Yeah. And with, with, with stacks like this, the, the great thing is because let's say maybe you get, Pickens and you get Pickett, but you miss out on Deontay or something like that. Yeah. You can know, especially if you're giving yourself that flexibility later in the draft, there's nothing wrong with going with a guy like a Calvin Austin. Like, yeah. you know, he's a guy who I think could from week one or outplay Allen Robinson and become right. the number three wide receiver going forward as soon as, you know, week two. So uh, I, I don't hesitate to act like roster guys, like, like, for example, with Jared Goff, I might take a, a flyer on a guy like Khalif Raymond, you know, who a lot of times ends up outplaying like some of the other guys, I would never draft him, you know, individually and he wouldn't have value, but attached to Goff, you have value, not just as, you know, one of the top three or four, receivers on the depth chart but also you have leverage if guys get hurt like if Jamison Williams just never comes back this season for example for some reason like maybe he gambles on the NFL again or or you know he gets hurt or you know whatever not yeah then that Khalif Raymond is not only going to have more value but it's going to be so unique like it's like in a large field no one else is really going to have it so that's something to think about like you can roster a guy um, that you would otherwise never take if you have you know, a quarterback stacked and maybe you only have one or one of his other receivers, or even if you want to, if you have two, uh, you know, there's just a lot more options. So you don't have to restrict yourself to like trying to reach for these guys at these certain spots in the draft early. Like you could, a lot of times the best stacks are the ones that are just going to be so off the board that no one would even ever think that they would have any correlation or upside. Um, and that's how you're really going to win in, win in these uh, in these larger field uh, tournaments. All right. Uh, anything else? Any other guys that you want to talk about, or are we out of here? I, I think we're we're out of here. I think we're good. I think we covered everything. Oh, and and just and draft Tyler Higby. He's going too well. Not, he's oh not, yeah. <laughs> he's not now a high that, dot guy, but <laughs> now that we have our two favorites, Chig and Dulcich, have had a rough past couple weeks. Um, Tyler Higby is sticking out like a sore thumb. So he, he is definitely my most drafted tight end the past week. Oh, and another interesting one, we've seen what Dalton Schultz has done in Dallas, and we've talked about on the last pod mm-hmm. how Ferguson has a chance to take over the entire Schultz role, not just be in a three-way committee. So if you have Dak, you can go Dak, oh, Cooks, yeah. Gallup, Ferguson, or Dak, Gallup. Gallup's going like wide receiver 50, I think. And, you know, Ferguson is obviously going way low. So Dak is the earliest guy you have to draft. So like those situations too, because we've seen Dak with a ton of upside. We don't exactly know how it's going to play out with Schottenheimer and McCarthy calling plays, but Dak does have upside. And, you know, if he throws like eight, nine touchdowns to Ferguson and you also have Gallup or Cooks who are, you know, getting some deep balls, uh, you could be in business. So yep. um, it's, it doesn't just have to be the number one receiver. You could get right. leverage, like if the number one gets hurt or something like that. So um, a lot of different ways to stack. But the bottom line, get creative, 
stay cheap and don't screw up your first, you know, the high leverage rounds of your draft by like <laughs> reaching for stacks. Like you don't need a Joe Burrow, right. Jamar Chase, T Higgins to win your draft. Cause too many other people are probably going to try to do the same thing and everyone's just going to screw each other over. So like if you're, if you have a better plan of, of just drafting for value early, getting these cheaper guys late, stacking them up mm-hmm. for the correlation more often than not, like it's not always going to work. No, no strategy is foolproof, but uh, it's going to be exactly. a better strategy to differentiate yourself. All right, that's going to wrap it up for the Fantasy Flex Best Ball 2023 preview episode. You can find Sean on Twitter. I mean, X, whatever it's called. <laughs> whatever it is. Sean is on X, at the underscore oddsmaker. I'm at Chris Rabon. We're at those same handles. On the action app where you can track all of your bets or follow ours, whatever you want to do, combination of the two, and... Be sure to check out our fantasy rankings up at actionnetwork.com. And we will be back next week. Until then, let's get this money. Action Network reminds you, please gamble responsibly. If you or someone you care about has a gambling problem, help is available 24-7 at 1-800-GAMBLER.